Hello and welcome to Sentimental Garbage, a podcast celebrating chiclet and the so-called guilty pleasures you're sort of done feeling guilty about. My name is Caroline Donahue, and when I released my first novel this year, I found myself being asked the same two questions over and over again. One, did I think of my novel as chiclet? And two, was I offended if it were called that? Which is weird, because all the best women I know are also devoted fans of chiclet, and this podcast is dedicated to examining what's good, great, and occasionally questionable about the genre. Today I'm joined by the author of the Sophia Khan is Not Obliged series and the forthcoming This Green and Pleasant Land, Aisha Malik. We're talking about Bridget Jones' Diary by Helen Fielding. Hi, Aisha. Hello and yay. <laughs> I love Bridget Jones. Oh, I'm so I like so I, excited. To I talk could about this. talk about her all day and all week and all year. And actually, that's why I wrote my first book, because I was so obsessed with her. So when, where did your obsession begin? With um, I don't think I read the first one first, actually. I read The Edge of Reason first for some reason. Oh, that's I, weird. I can't remember why. Yeah. I remember I was going to New York for the first time and I needed a book to read. And I think I saw it in the airport or something. And I basically ignored New York and read the book. Do you remember <laughs> what year it was? It was. I was 18. Yeah. So it would have been the year... 19. <laughs> <laughs> Shit. Um, it would have been the year 2000. Oh, wow. Yeah. A pre-9-11 read. Yes. <laughs> Maybe you should have taken it in New York a little more. <laughs> I know, right? I wasn't I wasn't a Scarfie back then, though, so I was okay. I was exempt. Oh, right. Well, yeah, it was fine. You got the wrong way around, really. Yeah, I know. You should have I, had a scarf on then. Yes, then. and taken it off. I know. But I always do things the wrong way around. It's fine. <laughs> so before this conversation gets uh, more offensive, uh, I'm going to do a very quick plot summary of Bridge Jones. I'm sure most of you listening already know the plot backwards, but in the small chance you haven't, here we go. Anyway, Bridget Jones is a single 30-something who drinks like a fish, smokes like a chimney and dresses like her mother. She spends most of her time flirting with her chauvinistic boss, Daniel Cleaver, and avoiding being humiliated by the posh, churlish Mark Darcy, all while getting pissed with her friends Jude, Chaz and Tom. Also dodging Spanish Inquisition-style attacks from the various smug married people in her life. And that's basically the whole plot. It's woman, has a job, has two love interests, and there there you go. Yeah, and it it kind of sounds so basic, doesn't it? Yeah. But it's... Anyone who's read the book will know it's not basic. It's bloody brilliant satire, amazing characters, and this one central character who you will just inevitably fall in love with. Um, Well, some people hate her because... People, some people have like weird hang-ups about her because she, I don't know she's not intelligent enough or maybe she's just yeah, and she was really divisive mm, even then like this wasn't like marriage a, obsessed like yeah like I was doing a little bit of research and like this wasn't like a oh a slow kind of thing but like because they was, um, Helen Fielding was doing these columns already and then it got turned into a book that was yeah. a ready-made audience for Bridget yeah. and as soon as the book came out smash hit but also people being like Marmite right yeah I hate her Which, and I loved her right yeah I did but it's a weird thing because, like, there were so many women, like, millions of women who were like, this is the first time I've ever seen a woman in fiction who was like me, who was as insecure as me, yeah. who was as, like, concerned about, like, you know, can I have a boyfriend and still be a feminist and can I do this and can I do that? And, like, am I practicing feng shui in my flat enough? <laughs> and all these mad insecurities that she has but are nonetheless really real. Yeah. But then, so you have all these women who are relating to her, but then at the same time, there's all these women being, like why is she such an idiot? And yeah. then the women who love her are like, yeah, am I an idiot? Yeah. <laughs> like, well, probably yes, but that's okay. We're all idiots we're all to some so degree. Um, but also, that's the point of satire. That's the point of comedy. Like, yeah. you know, you, she doesn't have to be this 
amazingly intelligent person to be related. I can see yeah. where people are coming from, but also that that's kind of I think that's the point of why Helen Fielding created her. She was just kind of a really stripped down version of perhaps every woman out there in terms of insecurities and you can be a high-flying career woman as well as have be obsessed with you know how you look and um, how much you weigh Um, and Bridget Jones was just kind of showing that stripped down insecurity. It's really interesting um, reading Bridget now because obviously we're in the it's so boring to talk about but we're in the post-social media <laughs> climate yeah. where everyone is um, even if they're doing this personality on Twitter or Instagram where they're like oh I'm just a mental slob um, yeah. there's still a, a showmanship yeah. to it but when you write from a diary perspective yeah. it's the struggle with it and I'd love to ask you more about this is um, creating somebody who really does think they are alone and really does think that no one's watching Oh yeah, that's quite interesting. Um, um, how did you find writing Sophia Khan? Um, well, I actually, I kind of, um, I guess I um, ended up merging both because it's in diary form. I mean, it's such a Bridget Jones ripoff in the sense that it was my first book, so I was like, you know what, I'm going to be play it really safe with this, and I'm just going mm. to openly kind of admit that this is a Muslim version of Bridget Jones because I love Bridget Jones but also um, Sophia Khan doesn't drink like a chimney no drink <laughs> that would be Dreams weird like drink fish. like a fish she does smoke like a she chimney does. she doesn't dress like her mother and um, she's Muslim so she doesn't have any of the sex um, yeah, which, are, which is good to pepper the plot. It's good to sort of keep, yeah, keep yeah. the plot moving. Will, with will she have sex or will she not? Yeah. Um, but no, um, so what she ends up doing is she ends up having to write a book about Muslim dating in the book. Mm. So it becomes kind of messy like that. And what that involves is um, social media. So it kind of ends up integrating the two by using the book to... Um, broach that um, divide between being a diary format yeah. which is very lonely and being more kind of yeah because she keeps um, a blog doesn't she yeah Sophia? she keeps a blog which isn't actually integral to the book and it's kind of just introduced as a way for to show her popularity online but yeah I think it's kind of important in order to keep it up to date because not having that element wouldn't have really not having any social media element wouldn't have rung true to the character my first novel I also had this um, struggle of like um, I really resent I don't resent is probably the wrong word. Maybe it is. <laughs> um, when novelists, they don't acknowledge the real world around them. So like when like people don't go to the toilet or they don't use the internet yes. or check their emails on the toilet. Or they don't eat like a jar of Nutella on their own in yeah. front of the television. That was sad, wasn't it? <laughs> Me admitting that. But yeah, no, it's true, yeah. Or when um, female characters don't eat anything but salads, that really pisses me off. Yeah. Or books. no, or even when female characters um are so stressed they can't eat. It's yeah, like that's, have you ever experienced stress? <laughs> that doesn't happen. What was your relationship? Because I I read the book. Um, I think because I have an older sister. I'm sure you, you do as well. Yes, I do. Um, yeah. she brought the book into the house when she was like eighteen, and I was like eight, I think. Mm. And I remember like flicking through it because her and my mum were talking about it so much and then I gradually um, read it when I was about 13 okay. and then I read it like every five years since then. Yeah. On and off. I kind of come across it when I'm yeah. moving house and I end up sitting on the floor in the boxes just like it's reading. It's just like it's chicken soup for the soul, isn't it? It it's really like, is. It's like Harry Potter. You just read it for comfort and just... It completely is yeah. Harry Potter in the yeah. sense that you just feel like you can just step back into Bridget's London. Exactly. Yeah. 
which I wish I kind of wish I lived in British London. Yeah, I live too. in this London, <laughs> which sucks. What are you going to do? You can't have it all. Yeah. What I really like about Bridget's diary and the, how it, they use the diary format in general, they Helen um, Helen Fielding is that um, she never has two good or two bad days in a row. Like right, it's yeah. always like, great day. I had loads of sex with Daniel Cleaver, and the next day hasn't called. Yeah, and the next yeah. day he talked to me again. And the next day he hasn't. And it's like and this. it's not even it's not even the the daily thing. It's the tiny thing. I felt like the the fact that it's eight oh one and then it's eight oh five and the difference between eight oh one and eight oh five, whatever might happen, it was just it just chimed so much with our everyday life. Um, having a croissant at a cafe and then running into your boss. Yeah, um, like seven minutes later, and that kind of familiarity, the madness of London life. Life, um, and merging love and career and that madness comes together in that format and if it wasn't in that format I don't feel like it would have been as successful it's great. You, you kind of have to like suspend your disbelief and be, because like obviously yeah. anyone who really keeps a diary doesn't be no, like oh exactly. la 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 I am completely on time oh no now I am very yeah. late unless <laughs> you're Adrian Mole who tries to replicate that in one of his books does he? yeah this re- which one was it? I can't remember which book it is I'm rereading Adrian Mole which is why it's I'm also hide. rereading Adrian Mole oh. I'm on 13 and 3 quarters right now oh I'm on the prostrate years oh I, I, I kind of left him at about 25 I think okay. I don't want him to get any older than that and there's um there's I can't remember which book it is, but he does allude to Bridget Jones coming in the scene and him saying something about her character writing a diary and then he's writing a diary, except she's writing it more successfully than he is. <laughs> <laughs> he tries to emulate her. It's very funny. Oh, my God. I had, yeah. now, I know, now I do want to read that. So I, I assume that you, you read this in 2000, that you come back to it every few years the yes, way lots yeah, of yeah, people yeah. do. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, every time I come back to it, I feel like I get something new from it. Mm. Like when I was... I think when I was a teenager, I I took everything she did at face value, at like, oh, Mike Darcy really must think she's terrible, and so she really must be as fat as she says she is. Yeah. And then as you become more worldwise, you, you realise that, that eight stone act- thirteen is a very thin woman. Oh my god, so thin, <laughs> so thin. I'm killed to be that thin. Um, maybe I shouldn't say that. No, but um, I'm just telling our <laughs> listeners right now. I am at ten stone eleven. I am ten um, stone eleven, and reading this book has made I, me have an eating disorder. <laughs> I am not going to give away my weight. I thought we were um, doing a thing. I thought no, we were going to be doing like... a thing because Caroline is about five inches taller than me, so that that stretches it stretches it out a bit. Um, we also have very heavy boobs. We do. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Thank God this is a podcast. <laughs> Otherwise. That'd be really weird. You look like a fellow heavy boober. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I mean, I could show you now, but that would really be weird. Um, no, no, but she, um, yeah, no, you, and you realise actually that she is her own worst enemy and that the lens through which she sees herself is completely distorted. And you're right, and actually, it's you don't get that when you read it as such a young person. And as you get older, you think, actually, this. This woman is mad. She's got body dysmorphia. Yeah. And um, her hang-ups have no kind of placing in reality. It doesn't, doesn't make any sense. But then that's just... Um, that's being just alive be, as a woman. Being alive as a woman, isn't yeah. it? Like, we all have insecurities that make absolutely no sense to other people. Maybe they do. They just don't say it to your face. I, I think that's why I, f- I find um, satire at the moment is in a really weird place because I feel like everybody wants to represent women as being like these kick-ass, bad as feminists, but isn't it, that's a lot. Of, that's a lot of pressure, <laughs> yeah. isn't it? I want a funny woman who's also like a kick-ass feminist. Yeah, it's like it's, yeah, without any kind of hang-ups. And actually, one of the things that I was criticised about in my book is the fat phobia, and mm-hmm. um, the fact that Sophia Khan is obsessed with her weight. Um, and I was like, but this is what 
writing is. You're writing about a character and her yeah. hang-ups, and that I feel is really true to life. In retrospect, would I like her to have been a bit more kind of aware about? the kind of message she was putting across yeah probably but at the same time um, if you're not going to address women's insecurities in books then you're basically creating characters that aren't flawed and therefore not yeah. very fun to read or interesting to read Completely. because they're not relatable what I really love as well is that throughout the book she references Susan Faludi's backlash but she's never read it <laughs> And it kind of has this weird. So on point. Isn't it's it? so on point because like, what's what's the most recent um, important book that you haven't read? Um, everyone keeps on going on about Susan Sontag, and I feel like I read her just because I hear about her so yeah. much. And I haven't read anything of hers, but I see her everywhere. Right. I know that's. I still haven't old, read Rachel Cusk yet because no, the cover like... of that new book looks weird. It okay. looks like the inside of a vagina. I don't like. <laughs> I know it's a shell. It's but... the Eye of Mordor. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, no, I like to think that I've read things that are really important and pretend I have just because it feels like I have because people bang on about it so much. But that's completely Bridget's life. Yeah. Is, and I, like and speaking of like um, coming back every few years and getting something new out of it, I think the last time I read this book before the most recent time, which was yesterday, um, I think I was 23 and I hadn't, I was kind of knocking on the outside of yeah. Bridget's world in that I knew people who worked in books, but I... I, I still worked like in recruitment, I think, in like this really like boring dead end job. And even the jobs Bridget deigned to do, I would have loved to have done, like yeah. researching for a TV show or working yes. at a publicist office yeah. um, at this big publishers. And now coming back out the side of it as someone who's almost 30 and who has worked in these industries, you know, has put out a book and therefore has worked with books, book people and yeah. the people who surround those industries, I see it as something else now of course you know? yeah, yeah and the incredible snobbery that she pushes up against yes yeah like that party scene where she for Kafka's motorbike which <laughs> I love oi oi <laughs> sorry the mic's not working I love that scene so much <laughs> it's so brilliant oh I'm Ka- having I love I'm how having we never moment. we never I'm like find out moment. what Kafka's motorbike <laughs> is about that's the point I, I know, guess I love yeah. it. <laughs> And it's so good in the film, but it's so good in the book as well because, like, um, it's completely a conversation I've definitely overheard or been a part of, yes. um, of like the, all these people like Perpetua and all her posh friends who've been to Cambridge. And this is also something I forgot is that basically everyone she works with, like, and Daniel Cleaver and Mark Darcy, they're Oxbridge, all yeah. Oxbridge, yeah. and she feels completely outside outside herself, and she mm. went to Bangor. <laughs> I don't even know where that is. <laughs> uh, and like how um, how small she's made feel all the time. Yeah. And it's related to that's that so, so relatable. That's so relatable, isn't it? Yeah. You've worked in publishing. Um, yeah, I, I mean, I worked in publicity for two years and part of that appeal was also because I'm like, I'm basically Bridget Jones. Yeah. <laughs> with a scarf. I'm in publicity and every time I pick up the phone, I'd be like, hello, publicity. And I did actually once meet Salman Rushdie. Did you? I did. He was lovely. But I really wanted to say to him, do you know where the loos are? <laughs> I didn't because I probably would have And yours, fired. Mr. Archer, are quite good. <laughs> Two. <laughs> yours aren't bad either. Um, but yeah, no, I mean, the st- some of the stuff that I had, I, one of my colleagues, um, she was brown as well. She was mm-hmm. Sri Lankan. And she once went to a party and an author came up to her and said, oh, you're quite exotic, aren't you, for Chateau? <laughs> she was like, 
Okay. Oh. And oh dear. I remember being like I remember um doing some publicity PR. I was a really bad publicist by the way. Sorry, I'm sure Christian. You were a fabulous I'm publicist. sorry Christian if you're listening to this. It's my boss. Um I had some phone conversations with him and I ended up mentioning that um I was fasting because it was Ramadan. And he was like, "Oh, right. Okay." And then he called maybe a couple of days later. Got got through to my um colleague my boss and um, he said yeah I need to speak to that Muslim girl <laughs> <laughs> at least he remembered you <laughs> and she looked over at me and she's like what the fuck <laughs> um, so yeah those were those were very kind of Muslim Bridget moments I like to call them oh, very wow. Bridget but very specific to being Muslim as well <laughs> which is why I wrote Sophia Khan have I plugged my book enough do you think no I think we can hear another time oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> that's why I wrote Sophia Khan well, I love that because like, obviously that experience that you just mentioned is like that Bridget of 1994 or whenever this was written probably wouldn't even know what Ramadan is or whatever. Aww, Bridget. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? She'd try really hard to understand yeah. but otherwise Aww. she'd be like, what? Like, so no chocolate? Ooh, no chocolate. Yeah. No you water. You cards. Like. <laughs> um, but what's, what's sort of universal about it is anyone who's ever made to feel like they don't belong yeah, in a situation absolutely. can relate to Bridget. Absolutely. Which is part of her appeal and which is why I get really annoyed when people kind of belittle the yeah. book for being not important in a way just because it appealed to so many people and I love Bridget. And it's kind of similar to um, how people talk about and feel about Sex in the City. Yes. Because you and I are both big fans of Sex in the City. <laughs> yes. I, I think it's weird that like um, when people talk about like Bridget Jones or Sex in the City or any, any of that kind of like whole culture of like female centric yeah sisters solidarity yeah women feminists. in cities generally in the yeah. mid to late 90s yeah. that kind of stuff they always focus on like oh well I, and there are negativities the way that like those shows you know maybe treated gay people or people of colour yeah, or maybe yeah. just didn't include those people at all or maybe like Sex and City got really materialistic and actually like sometimes reading Bridget Jones and I hate to criticise it or Sex and the City but you do think their focus on men and dating actually is very much in the past Um, and that's the one aspect that I feel like is kind of anti-feminist because their focus is so based on men and how to get a date and how to get married that it's it doesn't feel fresh anymore as a result that's of that. So, that's very true. Yeah, yeah. And I I always feel maybe maybe I only feel this way because I often because I'm in a long term monogamous relationship. Yeah, I feel like that nobody ever talks about like struggles within relationships yeah. because those things are always set up to be like oh they're going out with someone for like two dates and then there's something wrong with them and then they go and then yeah. that man is never seen again. Yeah, um, and that's why I wrote the sequel to Sophia Khan. <laughs> There's Which I haven't read. Um, I'm yeah, to read it. it's yeah. I kind of wrote. I wrote it in very much uh, a bit of a, a blur, really. So I don't, I don't remember much of my own novel, to be honest. Yeah, <laughs> yeah you just it's told a great me that. Plug there. Yeah. Um, First time I met you, um, I told you I was working on my second novel, and you were like, "Oh, don't worry, you won't remember it." <laughs> Basically, don't, so... don't worry too much about it. It's <laughs> just just focus on the third novel once the second one's out of the way. Yeah, yeah. That's the real winner. Mm. That's that Man Booker Prize shortly. Oh yeah, won. definitely. <laughs> So when people talk about like Sex and City, Bridget Jones, even like girls to an extent, they always emphasize on the negative things and mm-hmm. how like, oh, it's always like 
how expensive their things are and all this, all this long list of complaints that you could have about any TV show or book. Yeah. And they always seem to miss the thing is that, like, you know, people saw themselves in this, yeah. you know? And, you know, TV is aspirational. Books are aspirational to a certain extent. So yeah. you kind of need that in a sense just because it's looking it's reflecting your own life and it's kind of showing you a possibility for yourself yeah. if that's what you if that's what you want you know for me the the aspirational stuff in Bridget Jones is definitely the friend group yes and I, lo- I love like even now I, I feel like I've got a really great group of friends yeah. but um, but that- basically they're not good enough is <laughs> what she's saying <laughs> Caroline's friends <laughs> no, but the idea that they were like um, you know Bridget could have a really tough day and just like Shazza and Jude and Tom would just assemble and they yeah. all get pissed and then at 2am she'd be like bloody great night <laughs> but in reality it takes you about four and a half weeks to get a day in the yeah. diary with all your friends in London because someone's out of the country or someone's too busy at work or I mean the reason we keep doing podcasts together is, is it's, because it's, it's the only way we can seem to hang out basically <laughs> <laughs> so yeah it's kind of yeah it was a bit unrealistic wasn't it yeah, I, but I, I but loved I love that, that though. because then, yeah, because you still do have the great friends. Yeah. It's just you know, it's not as easy as that. But um, that's part of what made it so heartwarming. And there's nothing wrong with heartwarming, by the way. Absolutely nothing wrong. And like, I really I love heartwarming. <laughs> I, I, I love heartwarming. I really do. <laughs> I really, really don't like it when people don't like heartwarming. And I also really like when stakes are relatively small. Why not? You know? You know? Exactly. Like, I, I kind of, I sort of vaguely resent the, um, and, I, and I really like both these authors, yeah. um, like the kind of Jojo Moyes and yeah. Gillian Flynn, where someone either has to be dying or already be dead in yeah. order for us to have to care. It's yeah. like, why can't the stake be that you really fancy someone and you wish they'd kiss you? Don't, don't you think that's just because it's publishing? Because yeah. you have to have, like, some kind of... Um, unique selling point it has to have a hook yeah and um if will they won't they kiss it's just not a big enough hook i guess unfortunately i think it's a big enough hook if you're writing a book that's specifically aimed at a commercial women's yeah, fiction that's true. yeah like yeah. if there's a picture of like a like a picnic blanket and a flower on the cover or like a woman's shoe and a heel you know <laughs> yeah um, but anything outside that genre it's like oh well who cares you know well what, that's true yeah, yeah. And then there's like that other genre of Maybe there like, should be like a literary fiction book about will they, won't they kiss? Would that even work? Well, I haven't Could read Normal work? People yet, but apparently that's what Normal People is by Sally oh, Rooney. Oh, yes. I haven't no, picked I've, it up yet, but... Oh, that, well, that might be interesting. Yeah. Maybe we can do like a two-person book group, read that, and then discuss. <laughs> yeah, we must be the only two people who are reading that book. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. No one else is reading it, obviously. I want to talk about smoking. Oh, Yeah. I love writing characters who smoke. Me too. It's so great. It's so cathartic. <laughs> and I'm never going to write a character who vapes, I don't think. But you could kind of do it ironically, couldn't you? I suppose. Yeah, but if you were really trying to say something about that character. Yeah, you know I mean? yeah, exactly. Oh, actually, I wrote a character in my third book who vapes, who's just given up. But he's a very minor character. Yeah. I've read your third the, book. Yeah, um, his cousin, Vasim, that comes. Oh, yes. yes he's, oh, he's I like vaping. him. He's yeah. got a van and he vapes. Yeah. yeah. That's all you need and to know. And he sells dodgy stuff. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, I, when I'm reading Bridget Jones, it's um, very apparent because, like, 
I suppose when you read it back at, now that you've like written a novel or two, yeah. you know why why people smoke so much novels because like it breaks up the action in a really nice way. That's true, yeah. Because you don't end up with like I said, he said, I said, he said. Yeah. It's like I said, you know, reaching across for a cigarette and lighting yeah, yeah. it, flicking my ash. There's so many things you can do with a cigarette that yeah. livens up dialogue. That's so true. That's a very professional way of putting it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, and it says a lot about the character. Sophia can smoke a yeah, lot. Yeah, she smokes a lot because I felt like she is a character who I wanted to be universal despite the fact that she's a scarfy. She wears a hijab. Mm-hmm. Um, she doesn't drink. She um, doesn't have sex. And I was like, you've got to, you have to give, give her some vices. Yeah, you have to give her some vices because praying is just not going to cut it. To <laughs> I be love to pray. <laughs> I love to pray. I, know. I mean, what a dickhead she would sound like otherwise. <laughs> um, so, yeah, she does smoke a lot. And I just felt like it was also just very true to the character. Yeah. And it was funny because there were lots of things that I could do with her trying to hide her cigarettes from her parents and especially her dad who also smokes. Um, but it's different when a woman smokes. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Obviously, Caroline. It's common. Oh, no, it's you're disgusting. A, you're a woman of the street. Yeah, basically. <laughs> you shouldn't be allowed to wear hijab. You shouldn't be allowed to do anything. Um, so, yeah, I thought it, it added a layer of complexity to her. Um, and because there aren't many Muslim characters in books, I thought I would create a character who um, who's kind of subverts expectations. Yeah. So, yeah, it was important for her to smoke. We talk about this a lot off air of like, um, because you're a Muslim Pakistani writer, because I'm an Irish writer. Are you going to use the R word? What's the R word? Representation. Representation. Hello. Well, nobody nobody thinks that like inviting me onto a panel is representation because they're just like, it's a white blonde lady. Oh, bad luck. And then afterwards, if they're really scrabbling around, they're like, oh, but you know... (laughs) We got flack on Twitter, but Caroline's Irish. <laughs> Everyone should invite you on panels. You're great. I really enjoy them. I think I'm the only writer alive who just says yes to all of them because I love getting out of the house. Um, but like we, we've talked a lot about how like people want like a certain thing from a Muslim writer. And I also found that they want certain things from Irish writers as well. Yeah. I know what they expect of me. They expect some kind of a book that deals with something really serious. Yeah. Um, some kind of subjugation going on, some kind of op- oppression, maybe yeah. an honour killing or two. <laughs> you know, that's... that's spice vibe, things up. Spice things up. That's the kind of vibe you get from people who, are, who think about a Muslim character. And it's about framing narratives around the bloody headscarf. Oh, my God. Yeah. I never want to talk about the headscarf ever again. It's so boring. It's so boring. Um, but that's what's kind of expected. And because it's kind of in vogue, right? Everyone wants, like, everyone's talking about the burqa and the veil and and you just kind of get a bit bored of it. You just don't want to talk about... You just don't want to talk about that. You want to talk about Bridget Jones. Yeah. Well, the weird thing with with Sophia Khan is that what was subversive about it was that it was so traditional. Oh, yeah. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, 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 yeah. Like that yeah. you took this, like, just as ordinary London girl who also happens to be Muslim and is just sort of, like, dealing with dating life and, and what we talked about before, which is, like, quite small stakes of, like, just finding someone to love. Yeah. Which, which actually is the biggest stake you could possibly have yes. for most people in their lives. Most people aren't finding out why, who murdered someone from a train. Why, yeah, why can't women look for love in literature? Like, in a way that's not twee. Yeah. Why is that, like, I feel like you can't be a feminist unless you're kind of anti-all the the tropes that we have to deal with um, yeah. so that looking for something as simple as looking for love is kind of anti-feminist but it shouldn't be 
Yeah. Why does it have to be a bad thing? Or or the male lead has to be the sort of a perfect kind of wokey feminist man yeah. who always says the right thing. Yeah, you know? yeah, and that's what I yeah I did I did like writing Sophia Khan for the reason that it's a rom com, right? It's mm. totally a rom com, um, even though so much of it is about looking for love actually it's about many other things um, and what I loved about a lot of reviewers was that they recognised it as a kind of feminist narrative um, oh, even so though it's, even though it's a love story as well yeah. because it's a love story um, not just about um, meeting a partner but also a love story um, for friendships and a love story for families and um, between sisters so it's a, a kind of universal love story so not just focusing on finding your you another. say you're a bad publicist. Your publicist is really happy with you oh, right I know, now. Right? Well, I'm a so, very good publicist for my book. Yeah, clearly. somewhere in London, a publicist is just like glowing. I'm like, what's happening? It's other people's books that I can't be asked about. That's, not, not, true. Of That's not true. Most books by other people, not in this room, are bad. Exactly. <laughs> um, it's interesting that you say that, like, so, like a, a deceptively simple narrative about like a character looking for love can actually have a load of nuance yeah. and be the carrier I, for so I, many other things. Yeah, I love being able to write about serious issues in a really light-hearted way. Yeah. Because I just think that life is nuance. Um, not everything is black and white. Yeah. And if you're going to be a writer, then it's not about having an agenda about, you know, making people see things a certain way. It's about throwing out questions, making the reader think about those questions and think about how they would answer that. It's not about telling people what's what um no i agree with you and like the nicest thing that any one of the nice things anyone's ever said to me about about my book was that like uh it feels like you went in with questions and came out with more oh which is which is wonderful right? which is exactly what you want right like yeah, you want to like absolutely. well i went in and it was complicated and now it's more complicated and that's and that's the sense you get from bridget as well yeah. is that she never quite I mean, she does get together with Mark Darcy yes. in the end, but she always has that thing where she's um she's never truly herself around anyone, no, you know. No. And and Mark does really like her for who exactly who she is, yes, yeah. but mainly because he's so sick of the his entire class, yeah. right? Yeah. Or, like every time you meet Mark, he's being like primped by a woman he hates, mm. and he's just blinking a lot. Have you noticed how much Mark yes. Darcy blinks? <laughs> <laughs> Poor Mark. He's almost she's almost too good for him, isn't she? Just because. He is the kind of ideal, and I'm using um, air quotes here, Mm -hmm. he's kind of seen as the ideal man. But actually, she's so mad and so wonderful that he's almost too safe for her. Yeah, and and it is... I think because when you're reading it, you, um, she kind of is so hard on herself and she has so many crappy experiences with mm. men and with the people in her life. And then when like uh, Mark just shows up being kind of quietly earnest, you're like, oh, lovely. Aww. But like, looking at it objectively, like what is Mark Darcy? He's wealthy and yeah. quiet. And yeah, <laughs> like how is that going to be fun long term? Yeah, like if 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 Helen Fielding hadn't... I'm, this is a major spoiler, by the way. Um, <laughs> hadn't killed him off in the third book. I haven't read it. I haven't read it either. Oh, right. No because, interest, really. No, which is really weird because I'm obsessed with Bridget Jones. I love it. Yeah. But I didn't want to because I almost felt like killing him off was kind of... It, it kind of takes away from everything that could have been explored um, in a so-called happily ever after Yeah, which situation. goes back to what we were saying earlier in that like I, I feel like almost nothing ever deals with the long-term... Yeah 
sort of story of yeah. of being with someone yeah. and, and trying to love them year after year. Yeah. Not that I have any problems with that. <laughs> my boyfriend, if you're listening. <laughs> um, yeah, no, absolutely. And why in my in my second book, I was like, actually, yeah, I'm going to write about marriage because I have so much experience in it, um, having you never have been many married. Husbands. I have many husbands. Um, no, that's the wrong way around. It's the men who are allowed to have many wives oh. in Islam. I thought you just reinvented. No, sorry, the whole thing. not 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 yet. Okay. Um, you're working on it. I'm working on it. <laughs> Working on it slowly but surely. Um, as long as they all have the same amount of money that you give them, it's fine, right? Oh yeah, obviously. <laughs> you all because, give them their pocket you money know what? every week. Quality matters. <laughs> um, so yeah, with the second book, I was very keen to explore uh, marriage and um, spoiler alert and the breakdown of a marriage as well. Mm-hmm. Um, for the very reason that you said that no one actually looks. Very, you don't really look at happily ever after, do you? Um, although um, David Nichols' book *Us* is an amazing book on a kind of on a marriage between two people after. 50, David Nichols is one, one day. day. Yeah. Oh my god, and it's just it is beautiful. It's such a great book. I highly recommend it. It's funny that you bring up David Nichols because the other day I was interviewing for this podcast um, Ava Rice, who wrote *The Lost Art of Keeping Secrets*. Oh, okay. Um, and. She was very frank about how chiclet is packaged. And yes. she said yes. David Nichols would not have gotten that cover for one day if that, he had been a woman. woman. Yeah, and I actually, I've said that at panels before. Yeah. Um, and I, I loved One Day. I really loved it. It was a nice book, yeah. It was a great really book. Nice book. Um, but absolutely, if if he was a woman, it would have been packaged in a completely different way. Um, the journalist Satnam Sangere, guy who wrote Boy With The Top Knot, he also wrote a book called Marriage Material, and um, if he was a woman, it would have been packaged in a completely different way. Mm. Marriage material, yeah, hello, that it's, that has like chiclet written. It would have like a woman's over, hand yeah. on the it thing. Would, it has chiclet written all over that title. Big engagement ring, absolutely. Big like cartoon diamond. Yeah. yeah. So so much of um, how a book is packaged is about your gender, and um, that feels slightly kind of unfair. It kind of takes away from how important these so-called, I hate the term chiclet, mm. can't, I can't stand it. I don't mind it personally. Do you? I, don't, no. I can't stand it. You've been cringing it, in my intro. Because it's, because it's kind of derogatory to, the, because the implication is that it's not important. When you say mm. chiclet, the implication is that it's kind of too fluffy or not important or just not good enough. But so many of the books that appear to be chiclet or women's commercial like Bridget Jones, um, like Marion Key's books, like um, like Jane Austen, mm. they deal with so many relevant, important issues. Yeah. And to call them chiclet, to call any book chiclet, I just really wish we could just do away with that term for See, all books. I personally don't mind it. I only think that like um, people have assigned that I think I feel like we can reclaim it basically. Yes, I feel like we can take it back, different. and I feel like that's what I'm trying to do with this Which podcast. Is, so, so I'm the wrong guest to be invited. Then <laughs> you come into my house, <laughs> you insult my word. Um, no, but I totally know what you mean. But I think um, because you reclaiming are, it would be nice. I, Making I, 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 it into a positive term would be really, yeah, really lovely. I like chicks. I like lips. <laughs> Um, yeah, it would be nice to reclaim it so that people didn't 
kind of weren't snooty about it. Yeah, and just, that's what I don't like—just the snootiness. I think there's there's no getting around the fact that these are books that are marketed to like a mass female audience, yeah. and and that's the reason why they're the love stories are charming yeah. and the you know the pratfalls are funny and the descriptions of clothes are very interesting. Yeah, <laughs> like, there's a reason for that because that's what women like reading about. Mm-hmm. But I think and I think you know calling a chicklet is a fine shorthand for that and rather than saying commercial women's fiction every time and but yeah, even but women's women's commercial fiction what the hell is that I I, do, I hate that love term. stories clothes I like, and I just, falling I, over I, I realise it's all marketing but it just re- it really yeah. annoys me even women's commercial what does that mean that a woman wrote it and it's the for main women. characters a woman like, and it's it just really irks me probably because like we were saying earlier that books like One Day or Marriage Material mm-hmm. would um, or if even Nick Hornby as well who exactly. like men aren't reading Nick Hornby women read what? Nick Hornby to learn about oh, men oh god Nick Hornby I love I his love book. him I think he's wonderful but High Fidelity has a, has a coolness attached actually, to it even I, though it's a rom-com yeah, you I know? actually haven't read High Fidelity what have I oh, read it's one of my favourite books oh really yeah. I must read it um, but he generally is um, a great writer yeah. and um yeah, I think my annoyance comes in the fact that there, there seems to be this kind of unfair attachment to um, how women get published and how men get published. Mm-hmm. Um, and my bugbear is that when these great books get published by men, they're marketed in a certain way, whereas when these great um, they're marketed in a way that are crossover, right? Mm-hmm. Women and men read it. Mm-hmm. Whereas when women write great books of similar ilk... Yeah. Um, they it takes don't have so that much for men to read them because I've, I mean, I've, and I've had such great feedback by male readers for Sophia Khan of all books because, mm. because um, you know the cover and what it's about and it's, um, it's a rom com. It's essentially chick lit, but it's you know I've had men say that oh um, I'm not going to read this on the tube because of the cover. I've had that also. Yeah. So and your cover is actually it's got a rose on it. Yeah, oh, it's such yeah. a beautiful cover. Oh, I love you. it. It's gorgeous, but it doesn't scream chiclet and mm. it doesn't scream women's commercial. Yeah. But so it, there's still a bit of a kind of scope for a crossover there. Yeah. Even though I know what you mean because there is a rose and it is yellow and kind yeah. of pink as well, isn't it? It's it's weird though because it's like almost like the. Um, Chicklet, we'll put that in inverted commas, that gets taken either seriously by the sort of literary fiction brigade or, or whatever. I love that you call them the brigade. They're, they're a brigade. <laughs> and I, I, I absolutely love literary fiction as well. No, so, as yeah. do I. But, um, but I think that you, it only gets um, picked up by that sort of circle once it's like, oh, it's Chicklet with a twist, you know, yeah, or uh, yeah. whatever. And also... What's interesting with the with literary fiction as well, like I read this year, um, Rachel Kushner's The Mars Room, okay, which is set in a women's prison and yeah. is like a brilliant, one of the best books I read this year and totally deserved to be on the Man Booker prize yeah. list. And it's quite gritty and mm. it's quite violent, but mm. the cover was like bright pink mm. with like a, a heart on it. Because, but it was like, if it had written by Jonathan Franzen, it would have had the whole, like, this is important. Man writes about women's prison, you know? Yeah, yeah. So it goes both ways. Mm. Like, at every level of of book, there is, like, that weird gendered skew. Yeah, and I guess that's just the way marketing works. Yeah. Not much you can do about that, I suppose. So I'm sure you'll agree with me, because we've referenced it a few times, that the film is one of the most brilliantly adapted books of all time and also the perfect film. Yeah, absolutely. It really is the perfect film. Um, I can't think of any adaptation that's as good as that, apart from Lord of the Rings, randomly. 
which I loved. That's sure. a, probably another podcast. Um, <laughs> little known film, little known <laughs> indie yeah. New Zealand film. Yeah, no, Renée Zellweger is just, just perfect for that. But I, I kind of, I haven't watched Bridget Jones for a really long time now, um, partly because I now um, refuse to watch anything in which I am older than the characters in the film. <gasps> oh, it's just, you're going to run out of films, man. <laughs> I know, dude. I know, I, there's always something's got to give about... Um, Two people you in the sixties. That film. Yeah, I really, really love something's gotta give. It's bloody amazing. You're a great publicist for your books and the two thousand and four <laughs> film Something's Gotta Give. You have you watched it? No, I still haven't. Have I did yes, I mention it you to have. you? Did I? Yeah. Oh god, I'm obsessed without even realising. Oh, yeah. It's so good though. I it's so will wonderful. watch it. Actually my boyfriend's away this weekend, so I'm gonna mainline rom coms and that's gonna be one of them. That and the family yeah. stone is great as well. I love the family stone. <gasps> I love the family stone. So uncomfortable and so brilliantly done. SJP yeah, is she's wonderful in it. Amazing. Yeah. She I I think one day SJP will be regarded the way Meryl Streep is regarded now. Like she'll eventually start No, I I honestly believe she's as good. Okay. You know what? Let's have a podcast in like 20 years time and revisit this conversation, shall yeah. we? But she is she is brilliant in the family stone and I think that's also a really perfect film um that shows that romantic comedies can, can just, deal with a host of issues host of issues can be funny and heartwarming and talk about really difficult things yeah um, that scene where she's like why would you want your son to be gay yeah oh my and god it's the most complicated <laughs> strange horrible but you kind of see where she's coming from but yes. also she's a monster and you're she's, like oh. oh it's just so perfectly done but I, th- I think that the film does sort of like pile in the issues a bit, though. It's like, oh, yeah. our son is gay Maybe. and also he's deaf. Yeah. <laughs> and also his partner is black. black yeah. <laughs> um, can we talk about Chicklet and not address Nora Ephron? Oh, yeah. Like, she's she's another author who kind of, I, you know. She's got a weird status, doesn't she? Yeah. Um, in that she is one of those writers who is universally respected, universally yes, adored yeah, yeah. by people people who rejoice will love Nora Ephron and people who read like one book a year and it's from Asda yeah. will read Nora Ephron. Yeah, like Heartburn so is the oh, crossover it's, thing. It's you know? just so brilliant. I don't know why I brought, I brought her up just because Because she she sort of but she proved over and over again that you can like make charming, likeable, lovable fi- films and art with nice people who you want to spend time with and also talk about like you know, gentrification and you've yeah. got mail or yeah. more like... Yes. Um, that's exactly what I was going to say word for word. Yeah. <laughs> so thanks. Um, well, Aisha, I, we've, I've got to wrap up now, but I've loved this conversation so much. Do you have anything to plug? I think you do. Um, yes, I have a new book coming out mm-hmm. in June 2019 called This Green and Pleasant Land. And um, I'm very excited about it because um, it's a bit different to what I've written before Mm -hmm. and it's about a village, a quaint English village and a Muslim family in that village um, who the main character of which is suffering a bit of an identity crisis and he is asked by his dying mother to build a mosque in the village and the mayhem that follows. I'm very excited about it. I feel very smug and lucky to have been one of the first readers of it and I absolutely adored it. I think everyone who listens to this podcast will adore it too. Thank you. Because it's so, the characters are so lovable and the the world feels so relatable. Um, And okay, there isn't like a massive romance in it, but I think you fall in love with these characters in a huge way and people are going to love it. Thank you so much. Thank you, Aisha. 
This has been Sentimental Garbage, and I've been Caroline O'Donoghue. You can follow me on Twitter at Zaraline, that's C-Z-A-R-O-L-I-N-E, or email me by the podcast at ZaralineO'Donoghue at gmail.com. We'll be back next week with a new episode of Sentimental Garbage where I chat to Ella Risbridger about Millie's Fling by Jill Mansell. Thanks to Harry Harris for the jingle, Gavin Day for the logo, and Acast for the recording space. This has been a Justice for Dumb Women podcast produced by Hannah Varrell.